This is Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn practical strategies to drive consistent and predictable growth. In this episode, I got to chat with Asia Arangio once again, this time to talk about how you can identify and reduce churn at your company. You'll learn how to distinguish between qualified and unqualified and voluntary versus involuntary churn, the three types of common voluntary churn that you're probably experiencing, how to conduct exit interviews to get qualitative insights you can then use to reduce churn, and a ton more. If you're a B2B company and you're looking to reduce churn or fight a churn problem, this is a must-listen episode. You're going to walk away with a great framework to take steps to reduce it. Welcome back to another episode of Metrics and Chill. I have asked Asia to come back. If you are a regular listener, you will have heard one of her past issues where she talked about uh, you know, basically doubling revenue for a SaaS client in the travel industry uh, during COVID, which you know notoriously got shut down. It was a killer interview. If you want to like learn about how she approaches holistic growth, um, Asia is the founder and CEO of Demand Maven. Um, she just relaunched her podcast, so I'll, I'll let her pitch like where to go follow her and where to listen to her and keep learning from her because you're going to want to after this interview. But I invited her. Well, welcome first of all. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much again for having me back. And also fun fact, um, we've actually 10X'd that company since we chatted there last. So, so yeah, it's been, maybe that's another episode in the future of how we did that, but it's been awesome. It's been a great journey. And thanks again. I'm super pumped to chat about all the things we're going to dig into today. So for the topic today, we're going to address churn. Um, I, this is something I was looking through our benchmarks tool for Stripe benchmarks on churn. And unfortunately, it's a bit difficult right now to calculate like monthly churn ratios, but I could see, you know, the range of customers that most SaaS companies or B2B companies lose every month. And then Stripe, Stripe's own data indicates that monthly SaaS churn is between five to 7%. I think that's kind of like a commonly thrown around number. And, you know, I kind of put out an SOS, just curious to make some content around it and wanted to get people's input on LinkedIn. And Obviously, the common response, the quintessential marketing response is it depends, it's complicated, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of issues. Um, but I'm excited. I wanted to ask Asia to come on today because she's, I respect the way she thinks about all this stuff. And I want to learn and unpack some maybe helpful tips. Like, I don't think we're going to provide maybe a perfect step by step, you know, color by numbers blueprint, um, although maybe you will. Uh, and, <laughs> But I think we can give helpful guidance to listeners on what steps to take and where to start. Obviously, it depends on their product, their positioning, their stage. Um, but yeah, so let's let's dig in here. Um, when it comes to identifying causes of churn, let's start here. What are some of the common reasons that you've seen churn happen? What are some of the things that are like common causes that it's like, if you don't know where to look, start here. These, you know, these are kind of common areas. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm going to start with what are the two types of churn? Cause there are actually, there are two types of churn and then we're going to dig deep into each. Uh, but I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to give you like the high level tree, if you will, like the decision tree and okay. based off of if anyone's listening knows that they have a churn problem, I'll kind of, uh, hopefully this will give you a good framework for how to think about this. So in terms of like, what are the top causes? Well, first we have to talk, we have to start with what are the two types of churn? There's voluntary churn, and then there's involuntary churn. Voluntary churn is when someone says, I don't like this anymore, or I'm tired of paying for this or whatever it is, and they go and they cancel. 
involuntary churn is when they uh, a, a churn, a cancellation happens, but it might have been because of an accident. This could be like a credit card expiring. This could have been because maybe um, an invoice didn't get paid and maybe something lapsed. And like, like there could have been any kind of number of reasons why the, the churn happened, but it wasn't because someone decided, okay, I'm done with this. So first, there's two types of churn. And and based off of how you want to measure this, like most products, uh, ProfitWell actually does segment out voluntary churn versus involuntary churn. Okay. Um, but most products will bundle it into one KPI and that's like the churn number. Um, we'll talk about KPIs and metrics, I'm sure at some point, but from voluntary churn, so there's within voluntary churn, there's really three types of voluntary churn. And, and this is, this is my perspective. This isn't like in a book somewhere. This is just like Asia giving you, you know, what my, how I've kind of categorized this. There's perceived value. There's realized value. And then there's ongoing value. So the fundamental wisdom here is when volunt when voluntary churn happens, it's because someone has decided I'm not getting the value out of this that I thought I was anymore. And, but and, that, and that's, you know, certainly a great way to think about it. Um, I think that's a blanket way, though. Most people would say, oh, well, it's just because they decided they're not getting any value. But actually, this is where the nuance comes in, because there's many different types of value. There's the perceived value. This is, I thought I was going to get this, but I actually got something else, and that's not what I wanted. There's realized value of now that I've gotten it, it it's like different than what I was expecting, or um, like, it's like the... Now that I've actually experienced the product, I was hoping for maybe something different right. or it like didn't meet my needs. Okay. And then, and then there's the ongoing value. So maybe I've gotten what I've wanted, but my needs have changed over time. Let's say over a year or two years, and I'm no longer getting ongoing value. And churn, voluntary churn can be in any or all of those categories for any one particular person at any given time, which makes it exceptionally complicated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love this framework, by the way, because um, I, want, I want you to keep going, but I love this breakdown because this is like the nuance that's missing when people say, well, the way you deal with churn is like, it depends. It's like, well, just this little breakdown that you've given listeners allows you to be able to handle it like, oh, well, like obviously fixing involuntary churn is almost like a technical customer service issue. Like, can you have flags in your system that flag when a card is about to expire or something? Like, can you reach out to billing? Like, these are things you can address to kind of mitigate almost immediately. And then and then with the voluntary churn, I'm sure the way that you approach these is going to be drastically different. So yeah, love, love this distinction. Yeah. Awesome. So, so with involuntary churn, yes, exactly what you just described. Um, we call this dunning in like, if you really want to get like super technical, um, you can look up like dunning practices for SAS or like SAS dunning with a D, um, very interesting term that I had never learned before, but dunning is basically the practice of just making sure that cards don't fail. Um, Stripe has some really basic dunning just out of the box. Uh, so things like reminders that, you know, if, if you're, if they're paying with a credit card, like, Hey, like this is going to expire soon, you should replace it. But there's also more complex types of dunning. So there's actually a company called stunning it's, it's pronounced or it's spelled exactly how it's pronounced. And they are masters of dunning for Stripe products. They, they plug okay. into SaaS companies very well. Um, but this really looks at involuntary churn. Voluntary churn, however, is a much more complex 
very, like I said, very nuanced. And it takes like the work that we do to figure out what's going on and for who is primarily qualitative, meaning like we're actually, we're talking to customers, we're talking to people who churn, and then also we're collecting data if, if, if we can. Um, but just to kind of cover, so, so you're, you're asking about like, well, what are the specific like reasons why? So within perceived value, so again, just the three types of voluntary churn, there's perceived value, realized value, and ongoing value. For perceived value, so this is like what the perception is of the product before they actually sign up and start using it. So think think of this as like um, messaging. This can also be pricing. So monetization okay. and pricing, it gives a perception, again, perceived value based off of what something, like what we're charging for something, there's a perceived value of, of what I'm going to get if I actually start using the product based off of what I'm paying for it. And then there's also a product marketing. So product marketing helps also with perceived value. It It's basically like the, before you even ever start using it um, and like living with it, what are we doing to set your expectation and also give you the perception of value? Um, this is different than realized value. So realized value is like, I'm using it. So these are features. This is like really specific to the product. Like I'm using it now and I'm living with it. And do I like it? And like, is it doing what I thought it was going to do? And like, is it actually like fitting into what my day to day looks like or week to week or whatever it is, um, realized value. Like this is product. This is also, um, I would, I would put onboarding and activation into this when people go through the experience of using your product, are they realizing the value? Like, are they actually using it and getting what they need? So again, perception versus reality. Like that's kind of what we're playing with here. And then ongoing is, let's say they've been a customer for six months, but then they cancel. Um, ongoing value typically says, okay, they got maybe what they needed part one, but we didn't complete part two. And we didn't know that part two was important. And that's why mm. they turned. And so this is kind of, again, like where we get into some of the nuances of things. Um, but this is this is how I like to break it down for our clients, but also how I like to just communicate it in general of when we start looking at voluntary churn, we're looking at those three types of value. And our job is to figure out where's the breakdown. And it also could be all of them. Although I will say if you're earlier stage, so if we're going to break it down, you know, make it a little bit more actionable. If you're earlier stage, you've got your, you know, less than a millionaire are, um, it's probably a very large combination of perceived value and realized value, and it could be very heavy realized value. It could actually be very heavy product and onboarding and activation. If you're later stage, it could be far more of the ongoing value. Maybe your company is really good at acquiring customers and getting them activated, but we're not good at keeping them over the long haul. And there's different ways that we're going to talk about about how to identify that. But those are, those are to me, like the top two categories of churn. And then within voluntary churn, the three different uh, types of value that could be you know, breaking down potentially. Okay. Awesome. I love this. I have a bunch of notes. I'm scribbling furiously on my notepad <laughs> to come back to. Um, before we get into kind of uh, some steps that listeners can take to reduce churn for each of those three types, what you mentioned this earlier, and I was going to ask this, what are some metrics, KPIs, numbers that they should have sort of an alarm system for that like either are indicative of early signs. Like I would imagine for the involuntary, it's things like the moment Stripe reports a card is invalid, your Slack should get hit and someone should reach out or something. Um, and I'm sure there are things like that that are early signs for voluntary marketing as well. Um, so ways to maybe address. Um, so yeah, I guess my question is twofold. One is what are some 
early warning signs for each of those two categories that people should be ha- be tracking somewhere. And then the second is, are there are there specific numbers or metrics that would even be early signs of which type of the three that people could mm. like w- could mm-hmm. begin learning? You know what I mean? Like the way you laid it out, I'm beginning to think, okay, yeah, like realize value. Maybe we find from a couple interviews that they're not getting um they're not getting quite the value from the feature. Like we have the features we promised. So it's not a promised value thing, but when they're, when they start to use it, they kind of don't come back to it. And that should flag a warning system that like early churn is about to start. So would love to know your thoughts on, um, early signals, uh, just in general, everyone should be tracking. And then what are some early warning flags of the three types of voluntary churn? Yes. Okay. Okay, so I'll start with the KPIs and the metrics piece first because that's actually the easiest. And you can you can of course always get way more complex. And in fact, I would bet that um, Patrick Campbell I would consider to be, you know, like the godfather of churn, um, sure. or maybe just the father. He's not old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so so when it comes to measuring churn, there's there's two KPIs you're going to see in pretty much every single like subscription metrics platform. I think even Stripe has this. There's revenue churn and there's customer churn, and basically those just measure Revenue churn measures what, what is the churn rate of the total revenue amount. So when customers like downgrade, for example, or when they do actually cancel, like how much, how much, uh, what is the percentage of revenue that we're ultimately losing? And then there's customer churn, which looks at the amount of customers. Depending on your business, though, customer churn may be a little bit um, of a, that might be a tricky one because you might be an account-based organization where it doesn't matter as much like user churn as it, as much as it does like mm. the actual account. Right. Um, so this is kind of where you just want to, you just want to double check like what your subscription metrics platform is like leveraging. Like how are they defining customer? Is it account-based or is it truly like a user? Uh, and those are, those are the two like most basic, like you start there and you, you spoke to some benchmarks earlier, five to 7% is, is I would say probably the average, but ideally in order to be considered efficient, we want to get below 5%. Uh, uh, revenue churn would be amazing. And then customer churn would even, would be even better. Um, I have seen companies go from 15% churn to 2% and that those are like very efficient, usually very efficient products and growth is way, just way easier in every single way. The third KPI I'm going to give everyone is a KPI that is often overlooked, mostly because people don't know how to use it and they don't know what it means, but it's, it's actually it's one of the telltale telltale signs that I leverage when it feels like there might be a churn problem, but the numbers aren't signaling signaling that it's a churn problem. And it's customer cohort retention, which retention is the opposite of churn. So retention basically says how many com- how many customers have we retained? Churn says how many customers have canceled. But you can you can get to retention by subtracting churn basically. So retention basically the customer cohort retention basically says. Uh, every month for all of the customers who sign up for the product, how many of them do we retain month over month as time goes on? And there is a, I believe in, I believe in ProfitWell, it's called, I believe it's just called like customer cohort retention, or it might be called cohort retention. Um, but what you're going to see is you're going to see this like big grid. Uh, it's basically like a big colorful grid and it's got like the months on the left-hand side and it's got the number of months uh, at, at the top of the graph. And you're going to see this like triangle basically of data. And most people, when they see it, they're like, I have no idea what this is and I don't know what it means. But what you're looking for is 
you are looking for at least a 60% retention of customers after month six. So that means six months ago, which I don't even know when that would have been, maybe January, all the customers that you acquired in January by month six, which in theory would have been now, you have retained at least 60%, which would then therefore mean that 40% have churned. If we are retaining at least 60% by month six cohort retention on average across all the months, we're probably in a pretty good spot. And it also means that our um, our, our overall retention over time is relatively effective. But if it's less than 60%, what it basically means is customers that you acquire in January, you're going to lose more than half of them by the time that you get to June, which is a problem. Because if you think about marketing cycles and most average marketing cycles, they're about six months. So you basically just net every six months, right. which is really annoying. Uh, because it, it, but it also means that you don't grow. So if you're, if you're struggling with flat growth or very slow growth, take a look at that customer cohort retention, uh, map chart, whatever it is, it might be called something a little bit different. I actually don't know if Stripe has one. I know for a fact, ProfitWell does, Bear Metrics does as well. I'm pretty sure ChartMogul does as well, but check to see if month six, you're at least 60% retained. Um, if you're not, then that means that you're churning more customers over time. But your number, the the percentage of the churn might look fine. Like it might be in that five to seven percent range, and like technically be average or okay. Um, but what it means is though you're not going to have efficient growth because you're losing customers over time. But it's sneaky and it's hidden and it doesn't feel as painful. But that tells me that there's a churn problem in a different way. Basically, it means that okay. people aren't staying for a long time. Okay. So those are the top three KPIs that I look at. Uh, beyond that though, we can technically get our hands dirty and start looking at churn per segment. If we're collecting that type of data, we can look at churn per plan as well. And that tells us a lot of information about what plans seem to churn more customers versus others. One thing to remember though, is that data is not, um, it's not prescriptive. It's not going to tell us why that's happening. It's only going to tell us what is happening. So that's the important thing to remember about all of this. But those are the those are the where I start, and then from there I'll dig deeper if we need to. If we've got it, if we've got thousands of customers, we might have to dig deeper. Um, but if we only if we have hundreds, then those numbers are fine to start with for sure. Hey, just a quick interruption. In past episodes, you've heard guests give advice like. The first step is just like actually measuring and monitoring, right? Which sounds very fundamental, but a lot of companies don't even do that, right? If you ask for like, hey, do you have a monthly kind of report of like what's happening in the funnel? It's like, oh, well, we have this over here and we have this over here and we have the traffic data and GA. So the first thing I think is like build out, you know, a presentation uh, that you're updating every single month. Or it's way easier if you have all this stuff being centralized somewhere and can look at it. And I promise that's completely unprompted. We try to book smart B2B leaders and learn how they're driving more predictable growth, and they end up sharing advice like that. And Databox makes it easy to do all of that and more. You can track your marketing, sales, revenue, and CS performance all in one place. It lets you build custom dashboards and view metrics from over 80 tools side by side. You can schedule PDF reports that automatically update your data in real time and send to your team or your clients. You can even set up custom Slack alerts that alert you when you hit your goals or when numbers spike or dip. If you want to try it totally free, just go to databox.com or click the link in the show notes. Okay, back to the episode. Okay. 
the on the quantitative side so i'm i'm saving the best for last which in my opinion uh this is what i'm most keen to learn is how you qualitatively gather data on these three types of voluntary churn and take steps to address them i think that'll probably be like the most actionable part but i am curious before we get there quantitatively it seems like my mind's thinking uh two things would seem to be in conflict one is okay, it seems like there'd be a lot of value to, um, you know, you mentioned analyzing cohorts of customers like, oh, we see that of all the people that churned 80% were on our medium plan, our bronze plan, or like, you know, our gold plan or whatever. Um, I would imagine there are other quantitative things we could look at, right? So you could probably say, okay, yeah, hmm, there's this curious trend that 60% or 70% are this job title while all the others are something different. Or, uh, maybe a company size or a revenue amount. Um, but it feels like this is where it gets messy. And I've seen, you know, founders and marketers articulate this because you, if you try and pull, let quantitative lead you, like the natural thing would be to think, okay, 70% of our churn is this job title. Don't market to them. They're not your ICP, right? But it could be that you're just way too early or you're not serving them effectively, or maybe the messaging was really bad for them and just happens to be like your use case pages are just stronger on the marketing side for the other personas. So what what is maybe the right way? It feels like there's a, there's a dangerous way to use quantitative data to address churn where you could come to, with the wrong conclusions. Do you have any advice about quantitative marketers markers that are helpful to look at uh is there a stage of of time you should like is are if you're high growth if you're really early like seed or series a is that kind of too early to be looking at those because you kind of might not know who your best customer is how do you think about layering in quantitative insights in addition to sort of these exit interviews I always start with quantitative because that usually gives us a sense for is something wrong um, sometimes though, churn can be sneaky in that, again, that cohort retention report that I was talking about earlier, uh, where it kind of feels like our churn numbers are okay, but, but actually what, what we're having or what we're seeing is we're seeing flat growth and it's because we're actually losing customers over time. We're not keeping them for two plus years, which would be great. Um, we always start there first. If we need to dig deeper and, and I say, if we need to, what I mean by that is, um, really the number of the volume of customers that you have is really what dictates that when we're in the thousands of customers, like we're, let's say like two to three K plus, usually like we got to dig a little bit deeper just because we could look at blanket churn. But from there, if we've got, let's say two to 3000 customers or more, uh, then it really becomes qualified churn versus unqualified churn. And this was actually a practice that, um, I, I learned from Moz actually, I sat on the board of Moz and they, uh, at the time, looked at unqualified churn versus qualified churn, which that was really interesting. And so for qualified churn, you have to look at, okay, how many customers did we attract who technically should have stayed and stuck around that we lost? And then how many people signed up but weren't actually the right fits? And what was that unqualified churn look like? And what's the, what's the breakdown? Like, is it possible for us to analyze our database and see how much of these are actually qualified people versus not? And what you might find is, and this is uh, you, this is not necessary technically because a lot of what you can learn about churn you can learn directly from customers, which we're going to talk about. Uh, but if you if you are dealing with massive volumes of data, 
And, and, and also you have the bandwidth and the time, it might be worthwhile to take a second and say, okay, let's just see, like, if we were to break this down, what does churn actually look like when we look at people who are qualified versus not, because it's possible that you are acquiring the wrong type of customer. Uh, and that's the vast majority of churn, which would tell you, oh, duh, we got to like improve our acquisition efforts. Um, but if you find that it's a lot of qualified and let's say it's like the vast majority, like 80, 20%, like 80% of people are qualified, but they're churning and, and the churn rate is relatively high for that group of people, then that tells us, okay, we've got some more work to do. We probably are too early or, or maybe like we've got some product market fit issues. Um, or it could also be, um, message fit. This isn't the right message. There's all kinds of things. Yeah. Again, going back to that perceived value, realized value, ongoing value that it could be. And we can we can use certain data points to, to kind of figure that out. But going back to, you had an earlier question though about like, what are some of the warning signs? And oh, yeah. the warning signs are based off of your product. And if you're listening, your mileage may vary when I say this, but based on your product, you have to look at what does an activated person look like who appears to be getting value? And what does an unactivated person look like who appears to not be getting value? Your churn signal is a mirror image of that unactivated. So when it seems like people have, they've become a paying customer, you've you've got to you've got to then define, okay, what does a great paying customer now look like using the product? And whatever that definition is, the the reverse will be your churn signal. So let's say you have a research tool. And people come in and they use your tool every month for research of some kind of way. And they're getting data and they're exporting it and they're, 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 um, they're running searches in the platform. They might do that in the first two or three months of using the product. And let's say they then become a paying customer, but then maybe month six, which again is that like magical like number. So you know, on average, but they get to month six and all of a sudden their average 10 searches drops down to like one to two. And several months later, it doesn't pick back up. That's probably a churn signal of, hmm, they got a lot of value at first, but maybe they're not anymore. But again, that's realized value. We've got to validate that. Uh, but that should, and potentially could be one, a report. It could be a dashboard that someone actually has to see um, what, like, what is that percentage of people who appear to be um, either deactivated or not activated at all. And then therefore... Can you create automations that automatically notify a success person, automatically notify a marketing person or a salesperson, whatever, whoever that person is, and then trigger a conversation with that customer of like, hey, and maybe, I mean, it depends on the culture of your company and, you know, but maybe you can say, hey, we noticed that your usage was a little bit low. Like we want to hop on a call. Like, is there anything that we can do to help? Maybe it's not as creepy as that. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's a signal that you can leverage and you can automate around and there's all kinds of really cool things customer success folks can do when they have that type of information and that type of data. Um, and they're using platforms that enable them to do this, especially when it's behavior-based. When otherwise we kind of have to, we have to use like more um, like uh, like personable, like communication signals of like, oh, we haven't heard from that customer in a while. Hope right. everything's okay. So if it's not product-driven, um, if you're not like a product-led company in any kind of way, then you kind of have to use different signals. And that can be a little bit, that can be trickier, but it just, like I said, your mileage may vary. It it will certainly depend in that case on the culture of your company, on the product itself, and just the relationship that your customers have with the company. Um, 
but yes, absolutely. You can certainly use that as signals and create automations and all kinds of things around it. You mentioned that there was a um, number, like when it comes to quantitative, to be like, is there a number that to you indicates like statistical relevance? Like, I think, I think I'm, I'm, you might've said a thousand. Is that the, is that an example of like, okay, like, how do you know when like you, it's like you're auditing someone's account and you're like, this is too few. Don't pay attention to this yet. Like, for example, you know, they have uh, like 300 total, you like total customers is that enough to start picking up some of those quantitative trends? Or are you like, mm, like, let's wait six more months, you know, when you're at 500, 600, like for a little bit more statistical relevance, what would be the, is there a cutoff there? Can you get data from a hundred? Like, is it worth looking at quantitative stuff from a hundred? I know this was something I think Adam Goyette did a post on um, the other day where he talked about the danger of kind of making those decisions too soon for series A. Um, so, so yeah, what are your what are your thoughts there? Is like if someone's listening and they only have a couple hundred users in their account and they're trying to address churn, is it a bit too? Is that too little statistical significance to run quantitative on, or should they still be looking at those things? I don't think it's based. It's a great question. I don't think it's based on the volume of customers. Okay. I think it's based on what your churn chart looks like. If you have stable churn, meaning your churn, like it's like a, it's a flat graph and it's looked like that for a year. Um, and, and maybe like, there's like a little bit of a spike here and there, then you're, you probably have enough information and enough data to make decisions around churn, like really, tr like truly like big swing, like strategic decisions. If your churn graph looks like one month it's 80% and then the next month it's 2% and then the next month it's 40% and the next month it's like 10 you've got like your turn is all over the place. You're probably earlier. And while you like, of course, like you want to take, this is where it's, it gets so tough. Cause you do have to make decisions on like, do we make this big swing now? Or do we wait until we learn? I think ultimately, if you're experiencing that type of churn, your job is to learn as much as possible and to gather as much information and as much data as possible. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, this is awesome, especially the breakdown. Like I'm envisioning it would be super helpful for people to see because the, uh, the qualified versus unqualified, because yeah, if, if you're a, a product led growth company with like a freemium plan where there's no credit card required, I'm sure you're getting all kinds of people in that are just like, they might not even read through half the materials in your website. And they're just like, Oh, like, I don't need to read this. Let me just try it. Let me get in and kick, you know, kick some tires. Um, so yeah, like to your point that, that almost wouldn't be, uh, and, and for unqualified, if people are looking to set that metric up and track that would unqualified be trying to match to like a firmographic ICP, like you, like you should ideally know, okay, yeah, we're targeting companies of this size of this revenue amount, like using clear bit or something. Um, and so anyone who doesn't fit this market in the CRM or like wherever in mixed panel as on, as like an unqualified account, is that kind of how that works? Yeah. So the best way to gather this data and, and really it's going to start with your signup form. Uh, so when someone goes to your website and starts a new trial, depending on the, on the data that you're collecting now, there are going to be some out there who are like, keep your form as minimal as possible. And <laughs> yes, I do agree generally speaking, but when it comes to early stage companies that need data and need to be able to make decisions, asking like two or three extra questions about what's your intent. And then any other, like, uh, it could be like firmographic or demographic information that you really 100% need to know like if they're going to be qualified or not. 
um, that will go miles, miles, miles. Like it will go so far for you in the future to be able to collect that data and analyze it later because you'll be able to join that information with why they're ultimately churning. Mm -hmm. And you'll actually be able to analyze later down the road. Oh, we've noticed that most marketers with company or team sizes less than 10 had the highest churn rate. Like that's the kind of thing that you want to be able to say as you go. Um, but, but that's really what goes into your unqualified versus qualified if you can. Now, are there are there going to be those in that organization who are going to push for a minimal form with like a name and an email address? Yes. Um, but you certainly don't have to. Um, that's something that you you don't necessarily have to compromise on uh, in the early days, uh, especially. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get into the this is go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, no, no, no. I was um, I feel like hopefully there's not too much background noise. No, no, me. I actually oh, okay. can't really hear anything coming through. Yeah, yeah. No, you're oh, good. Perfect. Um, so the okay, so let's get into the end part qualitatively analyzing this. I'm really excited to dig into this stuff. Um, especially since it seems like there's so much confusion or struggle around this because you have people that are like, uh, you know, like they feel like, oh, the users are gone, they don't want to talk to us anymore, we don't want to annoy them. Um so for the three types of voluntary churn, uh, perceived, realized, and ongoing, what are these qualitative insights that you're gleaning? How are you gleaning them? And how are they, like, how are you taking a cohort of churn customers and finding out which of the three types they're in and then correlating that to steps to take to, to mitigate it? Okay, so... When we start the qualitative process, there's three different, and technically there's there's several different types of qualitative information we can collect on this. But the most, the top three most basic ones are collecting a cancellation reason on your on your churn form. So when people go to cancel their product, collecting a reason, this can be just a bullet point, like radio button selection. And maybe you collect like a little extra box where they can type in whatever they want. Um, but ideally it's some kind of radio with maybe an other option that they can type in very simple cancellation form. That's one. The second are good old fashioned exit interviews where when someone cancels, there should be some kind of automation that runs that reaches out to people who've canceled. Ideally it incentivizes them to talk to you. Now this is, if, if you've heard me speak anywhere, I will always say never incentivize your customer research. That's true for customers. Um, when it comes to people who are churning, they are usually like a get in and get out. Like they're kind of like they're done. They might not like hate you and hate your guts, but they're in general, um, like they want to move on. And it it makes sense to offer an incentive to talk to you at that point. So maybe offer them 50 bucks or 100 bucks to hop on a call. And and the goal is not to, you know, sell them. That's not the goal. And I want to make that abundantly clear for any founders <laughs> listening out there. Um, the goal is not to sell them on the product that they have canceled from. And in fact, I would encourage that you use that in the messaging to them when you invite them. The goal is to understand. And, and this is where um, we've actually performed several churn interviews where we would, we would conduct churn research for companies. And um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of grace given when it's not the, you know, the founder himself like conducting those interviews, although sure. I would recommend it still helps a lot. But yeah, so the exit, the exit interview is the place where you ask your questions and the types of questions you're going to ask are going to vary. You're not going to literally ask someone, what did you think of our website messaging? 
what you're going to do is you're going to ask jobs to be done style questions. Um, I'm sure if you've, if you've never heard of jobs to be done, um, I'm, I'm sure you've probably had some folks on the pod at some point talk about it. Um, but jobs basically just says, what was a job you were hoping to hire the product for? And cause that tells us that indicates to us what you thought the value might've been the value that you ultimately got. And even potentially what ongoing value, like you're hoping to get in the future. And we're going to add, we're going to ask those jobs to be done style questions. And then what's going to happen after that is we're basically just going to get the, what was going on in your world that led you to this product? Why did you start using it? What did you get out of it? And what went wrong? And that's just the, that's like the gist of the conversation you're going to have. It's going to be about 30 to 40 minutes. If you can get longer, that's amazing. Um, but most people who churn are like, you know, like they're like, all right, I'm, I'm out of here. Thank you for the gift card. But like, 30 minutes is all you'll probably get. Um, and then that interview will unfurl so many things. And I'm, I'm happy to give you some specific examples. Um, but then the last type are surveys. So you can certainly run surveys on folks who have who have canceled. This is also a little bit harder. Getting, getting cancellation or turn interviews and also running cancellation or turn surveys, those are tough because you've got to you're, you're hoping and crossing your fingers that people are engaged enough to tell you what was wrong with your product or whatever. Right. Um, but the cancellation survey alone of like when they cancel, what, like what happened, analyzing that data alone, especially matching it up to maybe their role type or any other data that you've collected about them, that is going to go just, like I said, so far. And then interviews by far, some of the best, uh, our favorite ways to, to really understand and to unpack. They're harder to come by, but if you can get them, even just four to five, they are they are incredible. Ideally, though, and for anyone else who's also listening out there, ideally, you don't have to wait until the cancellation happens. Ideally, you get them before the cancellation happens. That's really the best time, especially if you can kind of predict on when that might happen. Um, again, like those churn indicators, but yeah. you don't want to wait until they churn because it's hard to get them. So ideally you're always running product interviews, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but I know most teams are like interviews, ugh. but I, I promise it is one of the most enlightening experiences you'll ever, you'll ever in, in a interface. Okay. This is awesome. So there's an automation ideally run. So you're collecting quantitative uh, insights and you've got like the standard reasons than other where people can fill it out. And then ideally there's an automation triggering that maybe says something like, Hey, you know, saw you left, like, we're not going to try and win you back, but if you click here and book with a rep or, you know, book, book with a, with someone from our team, we just want to find out how we can improve the product and make it better. Um, you'll get a gift card. We're not going to try and sell you promise. And then they book a call, you have these interviews. And so I'm guessing when you ask, like, what did you hire this product for? If they give a reason that your product doesn't do, it's probably flagging that there's a perceived value problem. And you're like, okay, somewhere in our marketing or branding or imaging, we like, it could be, I'm guessing as simple as like images or illustrations of what it did down, you know, more likely the copy and product mess, you know, messaging on the website, maybe ad messaging. They thought it would do this. We don't do this. Where can we address our messaging at the top funnel or on, on the website? If it's something like, um, you know, yeah, I hired it to do this. You're like, well, it does that. What's the problem? Did it not? It's like, oh, well, it didn't work that well. Or it only did half the problem that I thought, okay, well now we have a feature, you know, improvement that we need to have, or like the feature doesn't go as far as it needs to, or, 
um, there, there's like a product improvement uh, thing. And then ongoing value, like, yeah, I, I loved it the first couple of months, but then, you know, um, like, so then it's like, okay, yeah, our, our, our messaging promised it. We delivered it, but after X amount of months. So then it's like, we either just embrace this and change our pricing and, and packaging to accommodate for short-term use, or we have to go, you know, we have to figure out ways to make, like, what would it be that would make you come back and use this more after these initial, you know, in your example, initial searches that you made, what else would, what other kind of problems can we solve related to this? And you're looking to improve the product. So is that, is that about right? Like you want to be asking these questions and those are going to lead you to those kind of conclusions. You nailed it. I honestly don't think I could have explained it better than myself. Um, you are <laughs> sure essentially, you, you are essentially knocking down dominoes and you're like, for with every question that you're asking, you're knocking down another domino until you stop and you stop when the customer, um, when you, when you have that moment of realization of like, Oh snap, there's something about our experience that is, that is not giving the customer what they, what they want. Now, to be fair, like what you were saying earlier, um, you might find from the get-go that they're actually not qualified based off of who they are, their use case or how they're using it. And, and the hardest part for founders, and, I, and this is especially true for technical founders who are also wearing the product hat, um, the hardest part is going to be separating what you think it should be versus what the customer expects it to be. It's going to be extremely difficult. Um, you have an innate sense of bias there, but you, as you do more of these, you get far more practiced at it. You start to you start to let go a little bit of, um, oh, like I thought it was really clear, but actually the customer is telling me it's not clear, or I thought that this did it that way, but they're actually saying that they have a different requirement or consideration for how they want it to be done. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, that's exactly what's happening as you're going through. And so your goal is to kind of, for every single customer, will one, determine where they qualified in the first place. But then after that, okay, well, they seem to be qualified. So then what happened? Was it the product? Was it um, was it the delivery? It was it was it was value delivery in some kind of way. So you kind of have to figure out where did value delivery break down? Was it in our messaging? Was it in our marketing? Was it in the product itself? Sometimes um, sometimes you might find, especially with jobs to be done, customers have a jobs to be done, and your interpretation of the product is one way to solve it, but they actually see several ways to solve it, and so people will churn when they perceive better ways to solve their job than the way that your product does right now. And that's a tough pill to swallow because you want to, you know, stay in your box and that's totally fine. Um, especially if it's super profitable, but if it's not, and it's growth is, yeah. if you're struggling with growth, um, you, you have to, you have to question your assumptions. And that's one of the hardest things for teams to do. Uh, and especially founders, um, especially technical ones who are focused on product. Um, yeah. But yes, totally. We um we've done something like this at Databox where we've rolled out exactly what you're saying. Um, members members of the product team did an, an incredibly detailed study of, you know, what are the patterns and user behaviors within the product that users take who end up staying for a long time or end up staying, you know, uh, churning or whatever. And so they were able to correlate it to kind of like a scoring system, basically, and like different user, you know, different steps that users take. It's like, the, okay, this is highly indicative that they're going to stay a long time, you know, eight months, 12 months longer. Um, if they don't take these steps, you know, that then they're likely to, or they take these steps, you know, they, they either don't take these steps or they proactively take these steps, then they're likely to churn within the first few months. And then that allows you to set up these flagging systems. So yeah, to, um, yeah, this is, this has been awesome. I feel like 
uh, I mean, I understand why this doesn't fit in like a LinkedIn post or a tweet really neatly, but I feel like this is the most concrete, uh, you know, people, when people talk about this issue, this is why I wanted to get on with you because when you try and address the issue of churn, people are just like, well, it depends. There's a lot of factors like, yeah, complicated. It's, it's holistic. It's like, I get it. And you know, the longer you're, you're in marketing, right. You're like, yeah, like the, the messaging that we use on the website would impact this. The features that we roll out would impact it. The pricing and packaging that we have would impact it. Like it is difficult to know, but I feel like this is a super helpful framework that you can work through to come away with this. So thank you for, for sharing this. Um, I want to ask you, I'll ask this last question, then I want to tell people where to follow you and, and find you. Um, if someone's listening, and I mean, I, I, this is one of the most clearly laid out frameworks we've had, but if someone's listening, what, and, and they've got a churn problem, what's like step number one? What do you, what would you recommend they go do coming away from all of this? Mm, I think step number one is get crystal clear about who the ideal customer really truly is because the step after that is to get into their shoes. And when you are crystal clear on who and you're crystal clear on what they're currently experiencing, you're going to, you're going to find the gaps. Like you're going to find like all of the places where it kind of falls apart or where it can fall apart, especially again, for those qualifieds. Um, something that, that I, I think I'm going to make a talk about this at some point, but Activation and churn are sisters. I think people consider them to be like distant cousins, but they're not. Mm -hmm. They're actually sisters. They live in the same house. They sleep like in the same room. They're on bunk beds. When when churn is a mess, it's quite literally kicking on activation's bed. Mm -hmm. And when I think I think so many people forget about that. And technically, um, acquisition is in there too. But but you know, she's the sister that comes in sometimes in the room. But when you have incredible activation, you're probably going to have low churn. Uh, even better when you combine that with focusing on the right people. But I think I think it really starts though with who is the right person, and how can we identify them. Uh, and then from there, you've got to experience what they experience. And I think I think when you like map the customer journey, for example, and you start to see like, oh my gosh, they go through all of these things. Like, no wonder they're not meeting their goals. Like, it starts to make more sense. Right. This is, uh, you know, on that, on that note, um, do you think that someone can be a, like you can answer the answer to the, who is the right customer question can be mostly qualitative as, and that can be as powerful as it can be quantitative. In other words, I'm thinking about products like Databox, like, uh, spark toro like like use like tools where you're coming to use them and there's a broad um, number of job titles there's a broad size of company there's a broad like so then it would make sense right that maybe the maybe the um uh the overarching like factors like the use case you're coming to use it for or like the problem that you're coming to solve. Do you, do you have any like advice on, or not advice, but do you feel that, that the qualitative is, is good enough sort of like, or do you think customers really need to be able to know? Like, I remember listening to a couple of interviews with April Dunford on her positioning framework. And, um, I know 
you know, she's big at being able to come away with some firmographic stuff that, you know, her litmus test is like, if you opened up LinkedIn and had to run ads against it, you could, right? Like you have enough of those. But for a lot of companies that maybe feel their use case is broad or for series A company that feel like they're early, can it be as simple as like, yeah, it might be these five job titles or, you know, five company types, but they're all coming for this one problem. And that can be a good filter and you can orient your marketing message around. Or do you think it, do you think qualitative is too weak? And eventually in your experience, you found, yeah, like you might start that way, but you know, ultimately there's one or two job titles, one or two personas that ends up like, you know, becoming your bread and butter. I think it comes down to the jobs to be done. I think qualitative for me, especially in the work that I do now is king, but, um, well, I'm, I'm going to say qualitative is definitely at the top of the list. Qualitative plus quantitative is king. In my opinion, I think you need both. Um, funnily enough, I'm so spark Toro is actually a company that we're working with now. So I love that you mentioned okay. them. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Rand said this publicly in a video, so I'm comfortable saying this publicly, um, but they have like 11,000 active users, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Um, I should know this number off the top of my head because I am working with them. But I I believe I there's there's a video where Rand talks about like how, like how many people are using SparkToro. And even within SparkToro, even with that many users, it does ultimately come down to, are they hiring SparkToro for jobs that it can ultimately satisfy? Which to be fair, um, any SaaS company on, uh, at this stage, like it's, we're only really going to be able to fulfill so many jobs. I, mm-hmm. I want to say that there's going to be like two very big jobs. And if you're familiar with jobs to be done, I would say like six to seven micro jobs. Um, so if you're like super familiar with jobs to be done, you'll hopefully know that what that language means, but ultimately it comes down to like, what are those top one to two jobs that people want to hire their product for? And then what are the top two to three segments of people trying to hire the product for that job? That's really um, that's really what I think it boils down to. But eventually you get to a place in growth where you've got 20, 50,000 customers and now you have several jobs and you have several segments. And that's really where it gets fun because you have to, um, you kind of have to through analysis and all kinds of fun data science stuff. And this is where quant becomes really helpful you get to analyze like which ones stick out more than others. Um, but I would say qualitative gets us extremely far. Qualitative plus quantitative, I think is to the moon for sure. Um, but I think it's both. I think you need both at the end of the day, but qualitative, so, it's definitely my, it's my personal favorite. Um, and then of course, next to like analysis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So I love this. Yeah. So if you feel, if you're listening and you feel like you're either too early or you truly feel like your product is for quote unquote, everybody, I mean, nobody should say the products for everybody, everybody. But um, if you feel like you are hesitant to narrow down, start with the qualitative being unify around the job to be done. What's, what are the primary two, one or two jobs to be done and some micro jobs. Now I have to go read this, uh, read that book. Um, so and then, and then from there, I'm guessing over time, you will notice trends like firmographic trends or quantitative trends of like, we can start with the job to be done. That's the qualitative. Yeah. Everyone who's sticking around a long time is articulating that they came here to solve these two jobs to be done or these three jobs to be done. And we're doing a good job doing them. And then over time, maybe when we get to 1,000, 5,000, 20,000 customers, we're going to be able to see, hey, you know what? 80% are actually this company size or this revenue size or things like that. So you'll be able to start to narrow down or like these two industries. 
Yeah. Yes. So, and I guess just for context that that pretty much matches it, it matches SparkToro, like the process that we're using now for SparkToro, which um, we actually started with quantitative first. And I use, cause they have so many, they have so many customers. I use that to show me where to go. And mm. then now we're, now we're leveraging qualitative research to really understand, okay, what's the strategy. Um, and so, but we only flipped it because they have so many customers. Now, if you've got you have less than a thousand customers, you probably, you could start with qualitative and be, be solid. Um, but yes, hundred percent starting with that jobs to be done. Now we're going to reverse engineer what's preventing people from getting there. Um, and th- so for them, like they're very focused on like holistic growth, of course. Um, but if, if we were to focus on churn, that's yeah, we would hundred percent start there. We would start collecting data on that and then start talking to customer people who canceled and, or people who appear to have turned or are going to churn. Okay. Okay. Asia, this has been incredible. Uh, thank you for being so generous to share all this. Uh, where can people, you have a, you've started up your podcast again. So where can people go listen to you? And then if they want to, uh, follow along with your thought leadership, if they want to hire you, where are all the places you want to send them? Yeah. So I'm going to start with demandmaven.io. So that is that is our website. We will find all the things. The podcast is back. It is called In Demand. It is impossible to find. Apparently, there are tons of podcasts called In Demand, and I did not research that. Um, <laughs> so if you want to find it, go to demandmaven.io. There's a drop down under resources that'll link you to the In Demand podcast. And it is back. Uh, and I'm I'm hopefully we can get a couple of guests. I don't typically take guests, but I've been inspired by a few topics lately that I'm really pumped to talk about. And I want some other experts to chat about it with me. Love it. And apart from that though, I'm very active on Twitter, also LinkedIn and yeah, and there's all kinds of services that we have far, far, like probably way too many services, but there's tons of things we could work on if you're struggling with any of these things. Okay. Awesome. Yes. Um, and if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to Asia's interview with us about now. Uh, did you say 10xing this company? Yeah, it was 10X'd, doubling. Yeah. Now it's 10x uh, this company's growth. So go back and listen. And if you want that kind of expertise, scaling your uh, SaaS, are you guys only SaaS? Uh, we actually we actually do internet based companies, so it doesn't have to be okay. pure SaaS. It could be internet based. Okay. If you want help scaling your internet based company, dealing with churn, doubling your growth. Uh, she laid out a really awesome holistic growth plan for the company that she that she highlighted. So we'll link to Demand Maven in the show notes. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com. 